0: Have you ever wondered why some healthcare facilities face more challenges in receiving payments than others? Is investing in education to avoid denials a strategic move? What do you think? Episode two, charting the course, EMR compliance and hospital billing. I am so excited to be back here for episode two. I have, of course, my co-host. Hi, Maya. Hello. Hello.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: <laughs> I know. We're here, right? We're here for episode yes. two. We made it to episode two, yes. thankfully, right?
1: Yes, oh. yes. I don't know if everyone has had, I think it's a full moon out because everything that's needs to happen or is going to happen doesn't happen the way that you want it to or there's always something that's techie that's wrong it's just one of those weird weeks you know but i'm glad to be here today glad to to talk it through that's what we're here to do talk it through
0: exactly and i just had to ask you maya how's the weather up there in chicago area like down here in in arkansas it's crazy like we got snow a couple days ago we're supposed to get another storm tomorrow yeah i'm just tired of the cold i'm just tired
1: Of it. You know, I really like the idea of palm trees, sands, and blue waters. Yeah. Uh, Kind of like in uh, Maui. Uh, I'm thinking Maui. Maui sounds really good right about now. But we're supposed to get another storm over in this way, too. I think we're going to be on the same storm path. Uh, So they said that we're supposed to be getting some snow um, and there's some warning um, tonight. So I don't know how many inches we're going to get, but it's not looking good. (laughs) So in
0: our local area, we have this place called the Pie House, and it Ooh, is so good. cute. It's like this little old-fashioned little house. They turn into like this bakery, and they have all kinds of pies, like this actual pies. And they have quiches, and they have uh, shepherd's pie, and they have all kinds of pies, right? Oh, so I this quest of this pie. I was just like obsessed with it. And so (laughs) I've been baking a lot and I've got my inner baker out, just trying to learn how to bake again. And it's just been really fun. So I'm like, yeah, I want to, I want to cook at home again. I want to be, I guess, domesticated and, and do all that. And do you ever feel sometimes like you just want to get in the kitchen?
1: Oh, that's my, that's my kids. Cooking is my love language. Like that's how I, I like for Uh, Christmas, I made a big, my girlfriend, um, a family portion or a family size meal of birria tacos. And it was birria. It was, uh, the ramen. It was all the fix. I mean, I did, I mean, I, I'm a pretty good cook and that's really my love language. I'm actually the house that everybody goes to for meetings. Uh, you know, when we want to meet and I'm always the cook, so it's, but I'm not a baker. I'm not a great, I'll say I'm not a great baker, but I am, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty good cook. I would say that.
0: Well, cool. Well, one day I'll have to get up there and, and taste some of that fabulous baking and cooking. Absolutely.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yes. I'm actually looking forward to it. Yay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, you know, we talked about this episode, episode two being something kind of special and really just continuing that, that concept of being authentic that we talked about in episode one, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Um, being real. And one of the things I, you know, I get a lot of questions from coders and billers. I, you probably have gotten this too, cause you do a lot of education as well. Sometimes, you know, it's a matter of, if you don't know, you don't know. And there are a lot of people out there coming into the industry and, you know, they don't know what they don't know. And so right. they ask what credentials should I go for? Should I, and they don't even know the differences between inpatient yeah. and professional fee coding um and even right. just the way that different facilities are reimbursed now yeah i'm not going to call myself an expert in everything because as we talked about last week we should never say we're expert of all things we really can't be right so so it begs the question really is what do we need to know in order to do our jobs and so yes. i thought we could just very simply today just kind of break this down because we are going to talk about the proposed rule um, for inpatient payments. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about just in general for people that don't understand how hospitals are paid versus how an office is paid. So Maya, why don't you tell our audience, how is a hospital paid? I know this is probably a loaded question. As simply as possible, what is the goal for hospital payments and and getting paid in a hospital?
1: Okay so I'd like to say that a hospital is like the building and the employees of the building right and then the physician is the one who is managing what happens in the building for the care that is provided for you the building is resource based so you got your 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 nurses your nurses assistants your cafeteria your nutritionist all of that is considered um the building, like the resources of the building, right? And then you have the physicians or the clinicians who direct the care and place the orders for all of those things to come in place. So when the physician documents a plan of care, like say if they're morbidly obese or if they have uh, certain issues, then the morbidly obese patient would need that bariatric bed that, uh, bariatric wheelchair, those people to move them from one place to another, because they have a certain type of service that is not typical of the normal, um, uh, type of employees to manage that patient because they're bigger, they're larger, they take more to move. It takes more effort unless, you know, you're, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and you can move anything, but, you know, and it's a key day, but you know, that's pretty much how, you know, it's explained. And, and, and in order for those things to happen, the documentation and the record needs to support it, right? But if the physician never says that the patient is morbidly obese, right, and all of those things that are allocated from the building because they don't want the patient to be in more danger because they're already sick, right? But there's the facility is spending money, right? But if it's not documented, then the hospital cannot get the additional money for those resources, for those extra, uh, the the bariatric bed, for the bariatric wheelchair, because those are resources that the hospital produce, right? But if it's not documented to support it, then there's no clear line of medical necessity. That means that the hospital will lose money because it's not supported, even though they spent the money to do it. Kind of like a hotel, right? When you're in a hotel, there are certain things that you expect the room to have. But if you know, if the room doesn't have uh, the upgraded king suite and you're paying for a double bed, then you know that expectation is not met. So the same thing that goes with a the hospital: there are certain expectations you expect to happen. But once you place an order for the more elaborate things, they're expected to accommodate those things based upon what you have ordered or have requested. So it's the same concept. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. And you know, it it gets more complex and obviously there's layers upon layers upon layers, right? So you have to know from, as an inpatient coder, for instance, if you're going to code for an inpatient facility, you're basically, um, you're coding the entire hospital stay and the payment comes in when the patient's discharged. Um, and so you really have to know what really Mm -hmm. caused that admission. Now, On the professional fee side, it's all based on encounters. So all that stuff yeah. the physicians do each day in the hospital for the patients, mm-hmm. on a professional side, every time the physician enters that room, they can bill their professional service potentially. Right. Yes. So that's the difference, right? And and, the, and so the office setting, right? We think of that more as like a pro fee setting because it's it's each in, it's encounter based, right? So every mm-hmm. time the patient comes in the office, they get to potentially bill a service or multiple services in some cases. Um, but on the inpatient side, the whole hospital stay there, that that building, right. Is -hmm. getting covered for what they, what
1: happened in the building. Right. 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 And I'd like to say that when we're, when we think of a hospital stay, right. The hospital stay is, uh, encounter is from admission to discharge. That's it. Admission to discharge. But for the physician, it's per encounter, right? It's per encounter. So if that encounter is from day to day to day to day, it wouldn't be the admission to discharge. It would be the each standalone document for when they round it on that patient per day. Um, And and the facility setting, it it really is a little bit different. It is admission to discharge and they typically um, don't bill uh, for all of the services until the charges are complete and they close at the end of the month. um, And, you know, all of those charges that are related to that, the medical record is has a certain amount of time before it's completed and all of that jazz. But for the most part, everything for the facility, um, as far as the facility encounters, starts from the time that they're admitted to the time that they're discharged. The admission, personal, professional opinion, is when they see the patient. Sometimes it can be twice in a day, depending upon the nature of the patient and what uh, they are doing. But in um, in most instances, it's per encounter or per day.
0: Right. Okay. So let's flip back to the hospital side because, guys, Maya is going to give us an update to something that we've been wanting to talk about. And there was a proposed rule that was out there and it, I think kind of flew under the radar a little bit, especially if you're not oh, really yeah. used to inpatient yeah. stuff. So I was always coding the hospital side for my surgeons, consultations. Occasionally, I, I coded for Um, the admitting positions, I code for hospitalists, the the professional side of that. But sometimes what happens to a patient, they're fully admitted, right? They're fully admitted. And then their status changes. And Mm -hmm. so Maya, walk us through what happens on the patient side. What happens to their claim sometimes when this transition or this change of status happens?
1: Let's talk about, you know, when a patient is admitted, they have two midnights to make the determination of if they're going to be a full admit, or if they're going to be observation. Um, And there are certain things that need to be documented within the medical record for it to transition from outpatient or observation to inpatient. And part of the dilemma that many people don't understand is it's all driven by what's medically supported, right? In the medical record. So if a provider wants a patient to be a full admit, and the only thing that they're focusing on is the acute conditions, but they're not listing the chronic problems, then it's unlikely if that problem is not, uh, is just an acute systemic uh, or uh, a chronic uh, condition with systemic symptoms, you know, then it becomes a lot less, um, a lot less uh, likely for that inpatient to be uh, escalated in a care because they're not showing the chronic conditions or the comorbidities in order to manage that patient in the inpatient setting. And so what happens is, is that there are certain criteria um, that the clinical documentation integrity team look at in order to make that patient a full admin. And if it doesn't meet certain criteria, that request for inpatient gets denied and it becomes observation or even an extended outpatient stay, which is really, really terrible. So let's think of the building, right? The cost to manage that building. So let's say that claim for the hospital is $20,000. Typically um, with Medicare part A, you pay a deductible and then you pay a per day amount. But And, and if that building stay is approved, then all they would pay is whatever that per day charge is versus the entire amount. But when it's not approved, they have to pay 20% of everything, everything, 20% of everything. And that's anything that is listed on that medical record. So if that bill is a $100,000, they got to pay $20,000. And that's just for the facility. That's not including what the physician does. So, and then once that claim has been reviewed and it goes from outpatient status uh, for request for inpatient to outpatient status, a condition code 44 is applied to the claim to say that they tried to make an inpatient, but they didn't meet certain patient standards. I'm actually talking about that at HealthCon this year. So it's going to be really interesting, uh, yeah, to to talk about because it really is uh, something that we need to be more cognizant of as it relates to care and how we ex- educate our physicians on what happens when care is not escalated, and you know hospitals lose money, and I don't think we realize how much it costs to run a hospital.
0: Well, let me ask you this now, Maya, because we understand, the, and I, I fully understand what you're saying. I hope our audience does too. Understand the ins and outs of observation inpatient, but let's flip the script, okay? And let's talk about what happens when you go from inpatient to observation say that inpatient stay was approved right what hospitals are doing right they may have their reasons they may change their status and now they're back to observation so uh-huh. how that's- does that impact the patient on that on, in that way
1: when a patient goes from inpatient to observation there's a reason right there's a major reason there's something that's going on with the documentation or um maybe they didn't require for the patient to be fully Admitted, and that um, maybe it was a, a same-day admission discharge, um, or maybe um, that occurred, and um, maybe something occurred where they didn't need to stay the full time. But when it becomes an observation, the problem is is that how do you determine which days you pay as a uh, co-insurance per day, or which pays you pay as uh, observation? Either case it's still a change in status, right? And it changes from outpatient uh, to inpatient. So the, the the deductibles, the coinsurance amounts all change. And it's typically, right. yeah, typically you go by the last event that was related to the patient's stay. So if they were inpatient and the last day that decided to make the whole stay observation, then they go back to the 20% and paying the 20% of everything that's related to that bill.
0: It's it's crazy. Right. I mean, like if we've never yeah. lived on that side for all you pro fee coders out there, or billers, you're like, Whoa, your head's spinning. Right. And yeah. so it's crazy, but okay. So on December 21st, 2023, right. Mm-hmm. Medicare and Medicaid services, CMS had released yeah. a proposal to implement an appeals process. Right. Yeah, because there was cases out there, lawsuits or whatever. And so I'm not going to go into all that. But really, this proposed rule is is aiming to help with this process when this does happen yeah, and yeah, yeah. making it easier for the patient to appeal this, right? So how does this all come about? And what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this proposed rule, Maya?
1: Well, I think this kind of goes back to what the patient has no control over right? They can't control of what their physician documents. They can't control the push to make an insurance company approve a full inpatient stay. So I think a lot of the time this is going to make a difference in what the patient owes. And then our friends who deal with patient advocacy can really be involved with the patient because then this gives them an avenue to appeal what didn't happen or should have happened or what should have occurred with some educated findings based upon this this, uh, proposed rule. And typically there's a lot of appeals levels uh, that go into this, but when you're talking about patient advocacy, you're talking about the difference of patients paying a deductible for days one through 60, right, versus paying a per DM charge after 61 to 90. And for those of you who are not really familiar with Medicare A and Part B, uh, Medicare A has a deductible that you pay for the first 60 days of a hospital stay. And then after the 60 days, day 61 through 90, there is a uh, per day charge. And I think for 2023, it was 400. My mind is my, my mind is gone because of the events, but uh, it, it's a per day charge. And then after that, they have what's called lifetime res- reserve days that they pay once that 90 day charge is up. And then for the physician side, you pay 20% of whatever the existing charge is. So for example, if the charge is $1,300, Medicare's max is $1,000, right? Medicare would pay $800, and then the patient would be responsible, responsible for paying $200. So when you think about that alone, right, and how patients on Medicare already have a limited budget, $200 can make the difference on them getting their drugs or not. So when you have somebody having a patient working on their behalf to appeal a stay that was changed from inpatient to observation or vice versa, either way, if they failed to meet the inpatient criteria or it was changed from inpatient to observation, it's still considered outpatient and they have to pay that 20% of whatever that charge is. So think about your grandmother, think about your aunt that that has medications or is very sickly and their bill from the hospital for, you know, a stroke or a symptomatic of a stroke that doesn't happen that's maybe not that bill turns out to be $100,000 because of testing, because of resources, because of the ED visit, all of that, right? Plus the professional bill so, think about that $20,000 plus whatever $10,000 that's a deal with that. So, that's another two. So, you're talking $22,000 on a $100,000 bill that could or could not make the difference on a person surviving if they don't have a bill, a, a, a proposed rule like this that can be appealed. Right now, the appeals process for the patient. To Medicare is almost very unlikely that it'll get turned around. But with the proposal like this, and this was based upon a court order, it becomes more important for a big win for the patients to have a chance to survive, right? To survive and pay for that drug that they need because it's required for them to maintain, you know, otherwise they have high blood pressure. Otherwise, that nitroglycerin pill for when they are threatening, you know, something that 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 helps. So this appeal program is everything. So I'm sure there, there are commenters and the commenting period ends on, I think the 26th of next month. Um, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of patient advocacy groups who are interested in, in, in this rule and uh, and this appeal to, to take place because it's going to make the difference on a patient being able to function. So, I mean, all of you, those who are out there who have moms and aunts and grandmothers and things like that, take a look at this bill. It's on the HHS uh, website. Uh, if you type in the word Medicare appeals program for patient status, look it up, start commenting on this. So um, this could be approved by Congress for uh, the health and human services program, because your voice matters, authenticity about what you're thinking matters about the outcome of what you're paying, period. So just think about those people that make a difference or those people that make a difference in your life that have medical conditions, that are elderly, that are on Medicare. Um, this is gonna be a game changer for many, many reasons.
0: Exactly, well, I'm thank you so much, Maya, uh, for letting the audience know. It's, it's so important for us to understand these things. And going back to like what we talked about before, you know, we've talked about this many times, You have administrators in hospitals too, just like you have administrators maybe in a a larger practice, right? And they can't know all of this all the time. Like they can't keep up with all of this stuff, right? So they need to empower or they need to make available to their teams, the ones doing this in and out every day, the ones talking to the patients every day, the ones getting those calls, the ones dealing with those, those complaints, those denials, all of that, empower them with education. I mean, I don't know how many of them don't even, I mean, I'm sure a lot of them know, but maybe they don't realize this, this proposed thing is even out there. Uh, Is that education even happening? So I want to dovetail that into just really just talk about education and why facilities are leaning towards cost savings in other ways mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. really realizing the cost savings in just providing education yeah it's a cost up front right but think about like in know on the profi setting for instance let's go back to the profi side and just an, an average claim for a person to rework a claim maybe it's true on the inpatient side too but the numbers i have like 25 dollars on average to rework a claim once it's yeah. Out the door and you have to do it again, right? So right. you're you're thinking about every time every claim you have, every claim even a hospital has An has AI, to be reworked.
1: Yes, the AR report has to be worked and it needs to be not sitting dormant. You need to work it just to make sure that those claims are paid and your AR report at the end of the month is less than what it started with. <laughs> that's, yeah. so, exactly that's the goal. Not supposed to get higher. <laughs> And,
0: you know, I, as a consultant, worked in certain areas and I've worked with different types of physicians, different types of facilities. And when I started to see more often over the years, facilities trying to cut costs by having physicians do the coding, like, oh, well, we can have the physician just pick the codes. We'll just submit them and then we'll use coders to catch it on the back end, just fix it later.
1: And I'm like, okay, (laughs) let's back up a little bit. What's wrong with this picture? I think part of the problem is that physicians have never been educated on how to code until now. And I think it's because, and we talked about this before, that the accountability behind the integrity of payment has been compromised so much, which is why back in 2005, 2008, when President Clinton uh, from your home state uh, created this integrity program, to, to start looking for Medicare dollars. And since then, the the numbers have been insane. So think about the outcome of that, right? Think about how, if nobody ever looks at the integrity of payment, that how many dollars are wasted? That's why they have a fraud and abuse program to protect the integrity of the dollar, right? And so we have the physicians who may not know the difference. So the education that goes behind what the physician is doing and to pair that with the quality of care makes that position more rounded and less risk. I can't can't tell you how many instances Mm -hmm. where a physician, I'll give you one example, where a physician was billing threes in a hospital all day long, no matter what level they were, no matter how they presented, they could have came in with a, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, uh, a splint in the finger. He was building the three. <laughs> a splint in the finger for a level three. You're like, seriously? And so what happened is, you know, after he realized, he was like, oh my gosh. You know, he was, he was so like, he cared. But because nobody takes the time to explain, to even know, to even gauge the interest, right? You have these physicians who really just don't know any better. So when you have someone that presents that information to them, to present it to, to, to them in ways that they can comprehend and that they can take back and say, wow, okay. Now, that same physician that was billing all threes, he is a not only a great coder, but he passed a random audit for his critical care and passed every note without question because of yours truly. Love it. Education, 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 because you can't, you can't substitute what you don't know and you can't teach what you don't know. So he's teaching everyone in his department. He's a pulmonary intensivist, by the way, pulmonary intensivists They are, they tend to bill the highest. They're doing the most work, but to go behind a physician for Medicaid payments and get uh 100% for critical care services, that's, phenomenal. And he's been probably the biggest advocate for documentation to this date and his group. So it does make a difference. And it does, don't think that it doesn't. It's all about your approach and how you support what you're approaching with. Now, I
0: don't know if you, I'm sure you remember back in 2014-ish when we really started to see EMRs just come in like full force in our practices. I mean, most of you that are listening to this podcast are probably already in healthcare. So you know that EMR stands for electronic medical record. So when we had to digitize all the records back in the day, I remember when I was early on in my career before I was a coder, I literally had to put the charts away every day. That was I was afloat in the hospital. That was my job. Go to all the hospital clinics and I would file all the charts and I had to find all the papers, put them in the right spot, and then file them. And like, and some of these clinics were a mess. They were like. I don't even know. Like, I can tell you horror stories of some of the clinics and the papers oh, just everywhere. I, compliance I, issues up the wazoo. Like, I'm yeah. just like, yeah. oh my goodness. I, 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 I and so that. when EMRs came on the scene, and I was like excited, we'd have a digital way to hold on to these records, organized. Like, I'm gonna be able to find exactly what I need when I need it. It's gonna be great. And that was that was the goal, right? That was like the 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 vision. We could document better. We could have uh, better ways to see information all at once and, and communicate, right? So, so it's like we, we chuckle, right? Because we know where we're at right now. We know oh, that every vendor in the world, every person who wants to make a buck was like, oh, "I'm going to create an EMR and I'm going to sell it, and it's going to be fabulous. It's going to work great. You're going to make tons of money." So they go out to these practices and they preach to them, "Hey, you're going to you're going to save tons of money. You're going to make lots of money here. This solution is what you need." and Before they know it, some administrator is signing this contract. No one in the clinic has had any chance to review it to see if it even works for them. And lo and behold, you're going through um, implementation. You're going through a 12-week training on this product that you're like, whoa, this is ridiculously complex. (laughs) So what do you think, Maya? I mean, where am I going with this?
1: Oh, I'll just say that the EMR is as good as how it's intended to be used mm-hmm. and you have to assess the needs for your practice for it to be effective for you. You shouldn't buy a facility based system if you're a clinic and what's happening is, I mean, even, okay. Cause I, cause girl, you didn't set the combination. I'm ready to do okay, But <laughs> so I think you have to think about what's practical for you. You have to understand some of the things that you need to do. Like if you want your EMR system to also be a practice management system, then you need to buy an integrated system that includes the billing. But if you have one system that's an EMR and you know you do a lot of claims and then you're going to use a separate system and whatever your intake and your uh, your DAR uh, uh, date uh, patient uh, report, accounts report is different than what your numbers are then somebody's not entering something correctly you want to have a system where there's a charge router from every time you drop a charge so that it it is incorporated and everything matches if you don't have that and you have a high patient load or a high payer mix then why would you buy a system that was limited to just one thing when you want to streamline everything and unfortunately um you have a lot of people who are trying to spend money for um the bare bones and they really need the bells and whistles and I, I I'm always a, a, an advocate of a pound, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I would rather spend the money up front know that I have the money in order to to um, manage it than to spend all the money on the back end and lose it remember we talked about the 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 worst thing you could do is buy a system that you don't know how to use because it's the quickest way to lose money. And it's the quickest way to go out of business because you're not making any money. So, you know, I mean, I, I I can't stress it enough. I mean, I've been around for a long time and I've seen many integration systems. I've seen many conversions from one system to another. And it's mind blowing when you're not prepared. You got to be prepared and you got to know right. what's needed. And you got to compare apples to apples. You can't compare apples to oranges and expect to get the same effect because you're not doing the proper comparison.
0: Exactly, and when I went back on my own again recently, um, I had worked with many EMR systems over the years, so many of them, all the big ones, Epic, you know, Cerner, um, mm-hmm. Athena, all of the big ones, I've worked in them. I've seen the back end, I've actually helped practices make them better and update them with, you right. know, on the back end, there's so many things that can go wrong if you don't set it up right. So one practice <laughs> I went in, I was consultant, uh, And all these claims are getting denied, and I I couldn't figure out why. And they were having the um, NPI for the provider, like the group NPI and the provider NPI. So, like, basically, it was the same number on both parts of the claim form. (gasps) Because guess what? The person at the EMR company who said, hey, we'll take care of it. We'll set the thing up for you, messed it up. And so, what, 150, 200 claims went out? All came back that's on the extra work for someone else to go back in and read and fix the problem and get them all out. You've 150 claims that are now going to take longer to get back in the revenue in when you need to train, first of all, train the people at your, your company. If you're going to present an EMR uh, system to somebody, or that's an integrated system, uh, make sure that your people that are doing the demos, for instance, understand the software that they're demoing. And when they say we're your implementation specialists, please make sure they know how to implement the software oh. for that specialty. And they at least know how a claim form is supposed
1: to work. You know, and I think that's another issue. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying my best not to, ah! but I, there's also issues of implementation and who's responsible for that implementation. So, and and you know where I'm about to go. There's a lot of times when you buy a big system like Epic, and you want to be cheap, and then contract a subcontractor who's not Epic to do the implementation, and then the builds aren't all the same. So you've got multi-practices that are across the board that have no idea that they're talking to each other, right? And they have different different AR reports be- for different regions because ours is, you know, we have a thousand physicians. So think about those thirty physicians that are thirty different areas. And they are not necessarily matching what's happening because the build isn't the same because you have different people who have different build process and thought processes. And so you have all of these different builds that don't even talk to each other when they should. And they don't because you're trying to go the cheap route rather than having someone from the company who built it <laughs> to to do it because they represent the company. I've seen it. I've seen three different areas for for the same specialty have three different AI reports and they have the same physicians, all three. They have the same patient load. Why is that? Why? Because the build isn't the same. The charge routing isn't the same. So you have a whole lot of things that could go wrong when you're trying to save a dollar. Sometimes saving a dollar is not always the best option when you have more at stake, don't save money. When you have more at stake, you need to invest in the best possible uh, options and know what you need. if you don't know what you need, hire a consultant. Hello. We're here. Hello, hello. We're right here. At, ladies and gentlemen, we're right here
0: because we know what we're talking about.
1: It makes the world a difference. Don't always think of ounce of prevention is not worth the pound of cure. Know what you need, talk to a professional. If you don't know a professional, look for one. Because it's going to make a difference on the outcome and your bottom line, which is your month-end reports. Your reports should not your your month-end reports should not be more than what they did in the beginning. It should be uh, your 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 money should be posted. Your AR should be worked. And your claims should be submitted, and somebody should be looking at the claims every single day when they are worked properly. Because guess what? Mm-hmm. Thirty days out from the day that the original claim was sent out, you got thirty days from that next day, de- that next month to be looking at claims. So you should be looking at claims every single day from thirty days from the original yep. date. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She's just saying, y'all. So, yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, I'm excited to continue more conversations with my new co-host, Maya Turner. And yes, everyone, Maya is our official co-host for Healthcare Echo Season 2. So we are excited. Next week, we're going to talk about what we talked about last episode was, what do we, what we call it, Maya? We call it Creative Billing Concepts. Oh. So we got some stories for you. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give you the dish on some of these creative billing concepts that we have seen over the years oh. to make sure hopefully that you're not a part to an organization that loves creative billing concepts
1: man and and then if you need to have a wine glass or something on the side so that you know we can just you know um have a celebration of of uh knowledge versus um education so we can celebrate knowledge as power you know once you uh get your physicians on task, we, we, we should do that. But in the meantime, have some meaningful conversations and don't be afraid to open your mouth, be authentic, having some integrity about what's happening in the office and with your physicians, because if you're timid, guess what? They're going to be timid with you. They're not going to be timid mm-hmm. with you when it's time for them to get their bonuses or their work RVUs or when they see the ARR is bigger than what it was in the beginning of the month and it's the end of the month and it's larger. So yeah. have some integrity about the work you're doing and know that, you know, your voice makes a difference in the outcomes of your position success, period, you know,
0: 100%. And we're going to give you some examples of those that have been caught with their creative <laughs> billing concepts. Yeah. So we're going to give you some examples of what happened to them. You know, the best teacher is someone else's experience, right? Okay. <laughs> so. We hope we're not learning from our own experiences. Of course, we should learn from our own experiences, but oftentimes it's best for someone else to have that and learn from their mistakes because we don't want to make those mistakes, right?
1: Right. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I'm telling you, don't feel... What? Okay. Here I go. Here I go again, Jen. Here I go. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to seek help. That's part. I mean, if you're prideful and you don't want nobody to tell you what to do, don't tell me how to do much. If you need help on how to do something, don't be afraid to ask. That's what this platform is for. And as coders, as billers, as educators, we should band together to educate each other. The more that we lift each other up, the more we all are going to be successful because nobody is out in the cold because they lost their job because their AR is bigger in the, uh, at the end of the month than it is at the beginning of the month. So let's let's. Take the time to hear the echoes, hear the echoes of what we're saying, because it makes a difference. It makes a difference on all of our success. You know, um, what is that, uh, Jen, back in the day, uh, Vidal Satun, if you don't look good, we don't look good. We take pride in you. I'm just saying. That's, that's I love that's, it. I love it. You never heard of that? Girl, that's old. That's I, old. That's old. I, you know, you're you're taking me back and, you know, I'm 41
0: now and my brain does not work the same way it used to. so. I don't know. I'm having one of those those moments where I can't place it. But, you know, we'll talk about it later. Maybe you remind me of the next episode. But thank you, everyone, for attending the podcast episodes with Maya, our co-host. So stay tuned for next week. We'll see you then. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthcare Echoes. How do creative billing concepts pose risks? And what are the implications for the healthcare landscape? What about those new codes causing so much confusion in 2024? We encourage you to stay tuned for our next episode, Creative Billing Concepts. We also encourage you to check out our main YouTube channel for the full episode. The details are found in our show notes. We thank you once again for being part of Season 2 of the Healthcare Inspired Podcast, Healthcare Echoes. Until next time, remember, stay curious, stay informed, and stay tuned.